you take your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2, Genesis chapter 2, we left off last week with the creation of man. We learned that man is a trichotomy. He is three parts that make up one person. Who can tell me? what those three parts are that make up man. All right? Go ahead. Body, soul, and spirit. spirit. We're not three people. We're one person made up of three parts. I have a body. And, uh, you know, used to, at least when I grew up, I don't know how it is now. I think they use this term sometimes. If someone is like in a coma to where they have no self-consciousness, they would say they're in a vegetative state. Remember, vegetables have a body. That was the first stage of creation when God made the the uh, herbs of the field and the trees and all that. They have the trees have a body, but they have no soul. They have no mind, no emotion, no will. Man has a soul. Animals have a soul. They have a mind, emotion, and a will. But what separates us from the animals is our spirits. Our soul gives us self-consciousness. Animals are very much aware that they're there. Trees are not. But with our spirit, we have God-consciousness, which we'll learn about more next door this morning in our sermon. Our, our spirit, That spiritual part of us is why we're meeting here this morning and why people have all types of religions all around the world, no matter what their culture is. There is a, a, a God-consciousness, a As one theologian described one time, a God-shaped vacuum in every human heart. We have a spirit. So if uh, someone hands me this eraser, they can't say, well, I'm going to hand it to your soul, but I'm not going to hand it to your body. Or I'm going to hand it to your body, but I'm not going to hand it to your inner man, your soul. You know, it's not possible. Just one person, three parts. And so we were made after God's image. God is three persons, not three parts, but three persons that make up one God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. All right. And so after making man, we learned that God, when God formed man from the dust of the earth, he breathed into Adam's nostrils a breath of life. And that word breathed into, we looked at the different forms of breathing, expiration, inspiration, respiration, We reminded ourselves about what God said about the Scriptures. In our very first lesson, all Scriptures given by inspiration of God. It means it's God-breathed. And we learned when we studied the creation of man that God never meant for us to have a Bible. We were never meant to hold an inspired book. We were meant to be inspired people. We were meant to have God's words in our heart. And But something terribly wrong happened, which we'll learn about hopefully today. After God created man, we'll see what he did next. All right? Uh, Look here in verse... uh, Of course, we learned uh, also, very importantly, that in verse 16, chapter 2, verse 16, the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And we learned in that lesson last week that God put those two trees in the garden. And the reason was, can anyone tell me why he put the the tree of the knowledge of 
good and evil in the garden. Why would he put something in there that could cause man to die? Anyone remember? Free will, yes. But why is that free will so important for us to have? That's right. You're on the right track. Because the greatest gift God gave us is the ability to love. The greatest thing we can have is the ability to be able to love God and be loved by God. And the ability for us to love is dependent on the ability for us to choose. You, you can only love by choice. You cannot make someone love you. If you've ever gone through a divorce, if you've ever had a child turn their back on you, you'll learn real quick the hard way. You can't make somebody love you. It's a choice. And so God didn't create us to be robots. He put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the garden so we could have a choice, the ability to choose God. So we'll get into more to that here in just a moment. Now let's go ahead and look in verse... 18 Genesis 2 verse 18 and the Lord God said it is not good that the man should be alone I will make him and help meet for him remember everything God made when he made the light when he made the trees when he made the animals when he made man everything he made God looked and saw that it was good remember everything God does is good he's a good God But now he's looking at man, and he says it's not good that man should be alone. Man is good, but it's not good to leave that man alone. And so he says, um, in the latter part of verse 18, I will make him an help, or a helper, meet for him. All right? And so when we look at this word meet, this is old King James. If we had a newer version, it would probably say something different. But uh, the word meet... Not with an A. If it has an A, that's like a steak. All right? But meat here means suitable. All right? So we're going to say a suitable helper. I'm going to make him a helper that's suitable for him, that's compatible for him. So let's go ahead and look in verse 19. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. So Adam got to name all the animals. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found in help meat for him. Now out of all the animals that God brought Adam, not a single animal was compatible for Adam to be Adam's helper. What would be the main reason that those animals could not be his helper? Now, I'm not talking about his mate to procreate. I'm talking about his helper. What would be the main reason those animals could not be a compatible helper to him? Yeah, well, they have self-consciousness. You're right there. I know you're right there. You've you've got the answer. It's like they have a soul, so I mean they don't have the spirit. There you go. I knew you were getting there. Yeah, because Adam Adam was made to rule in the authority of God on earth. He was to be God's representation on earth. 
Well, in order for him to have a helper, they're going to have to have some knowledge of what he's doing and, 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 and some knowledge of God. There's got to be that spiritual relationship between the husband and the wife. There's no way that my, my wife is a suitable helper. I mean, my wife understands the gospel. She understands my relationship with God. She understands my ministry. And if you don't have someone that understands your ministry, they can't help you. It would be like falling up underneath a car, trying to work on your transmission. You stick your hand out from under the car and you say, can you please hand me a, a screwdriver or a socket and a ratchet? I need a 916 socket and ratchet, please, to go along with it. And they have no concept of tools. They, they, couldn't, they have no concept of, a, of, of an automobile and how it runs. So they could be no helper to you. Be, uh, I, I love my chickens when I walk outside. They love running up to me to eat, and they love to all that stuff to me and talk to me. But if I would be under my car and I were to hand my hand out and ask them for something, the best I would get is them to pick the palm of my hand, hoping there was something for them to eat. And that's all Adam would have gotten with the animals. God had to make someone compatible to him that had his innate spiritual nature. That was three parts that made up one person. Let's go ahead and look here now. So God said, I'll make him and help meet for him. Uh, and now in verse 21, and the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. So here's what we have. Thousands of years ago, a man named Moses writes about God creating the first woman. He did not form the woman from the ground like he did the man. He took the woman from the man. All people came from this first man that God created. Everybody, including the woman. God, thousands of, uh, of years ago, it was written that God performed surgery on Adam. This is before people understood the concept of anesthesia. We've already read in the prophets how the Bible said the earth was round before people figured it out. And so God had already told us in, in the Bible that the earth was round. And now we're reading here where God is putting a man to sleep to open up his side to take out one of his internal parts and now he closes the flesh back up. That's exactly what we do today. I wonder if that's where the, the surgeons got the idea from. Uh, but, uh, but anyway, there it is in the book of Genesis chapter 2. And so God takes a rib, and from that rib, he makes a woman. You say, well, how could God make a rib into a woman? How did he make a man out of dirt? He's God. He's the creator. He can do anything. And it's easier to make a woman out of a rib than make a man out of dirt. The rib has life in it, blood in it, cells in it, DNA in it. <laughs> and uh, so God made this, this uh, woman from a rib. Now, a rib, remember, God is going to make this woman a helper. And a helper is not someone who leads. A helper is someone who assists. Man was made in the dominant role. The woman was made in the assisting role. And we see that here in the creation. Uh, God didn't take one of Adam's femurs, 
and make a woman out of it, <laughs> or a skull, he took a rib, and a rib is a bone that does not support weight. It is a supporting bone. It goes around the inwards, the heart, the lungs. It's a supporting bone. But, you know, you uh, when, when you lift weights or something like that or something heavy, uh, you are not using your ribs so much as you are your back, your 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 femurs and, and uh, your arms and things like that. And so he makes a woman from this rib. Now, let me go ahead real quick, especially since we have Amanda in here, because Amanda doesn't, uh, you're a nurse, right? No? What are you? You just work at the nursing home. No. <laughs> I thought you did. I work for hospice. Yeah. You work for hospice. But you're not a nurse. Okay. So that's all right. I had a couple of nurses in here one time, and they argued with me. Y'all are both nurses? Good. Good. I had two nurses in here one time, and they argued with me and were telling me that uh, men had one less rib than women did. And I said, no, they don't have one less rib than than women do. They said, oh, yeah, it's because God took a rib from Adam, uh, then uh, men have one less rib than a a woman. Has anyone ever heard that before? One, you, we have several people that have heard it. It's not true, okay? So stories like that are old wives' tales that someone invented probably to make Christians look, look silly, okay? I mean, think about it. If... If me, being a man, if I am working in a machine shop and I have my little finger cut off, and then I have a child, after I have my finger cut off, my child's not going to be born with one last finger. Just think about it. And so uh, uh, it, it's just not true. I wanted to make sure when we were at this point right here, that because I was taught that growing up, and I started thinking about it as I grew up, and and started reading about it in the scriptures, and I thought, this makes no sense whatsoever. So I studied it out, and sure enough, it was false. But they said, we're medically trained. We, we, trust me, there's one less, one less rib in a woman. They came back the next week and apologized. They got on Google and realized they were wrong. Anyway, but, um, but anyway, um, let's go ahead and look here now in uh, verse... Uh, 22, and the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Now that word woman means taken out of man uh, from the Hebrew. Uh, It means to be taken out of man. Okay. And so verse 24, therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. And so Adam and Eve were one flesh, literally, and uh, and they set up the um, the uh, type of union, the relationship that God wanted man and woman to have from there on out. That when a man and a woman joined in marriage, they, in the eyes of God, would be as one person, as one flesh. Not one person, but as as one flesh, and so very very close, next of kin, uh, which is why still today when we get married, uh, you know our parents have blood relationship to us, but suddenly our spouses are next of kin, and they make the decisions 
if we get taken off life support or not and things like that. So it's a very powerful union. And so uh, God instituted marriage. He instituted marriage between one man and one woman. He only made male and female. There are no other genders. There's no LGBTQ+. Plus, there's nothing like that. It is male. It is female. It is husband and his wife. The man is created in the dominant role. The woman was created for the, uh, the helping role. And all of this is seen in our bodies that God made. Uh, when I go home today, I have a rooster. Unfortunately, I'll have to butcher him today because uh, uh, we can't have roosters in the city. But that rooster uh, has spurs. That rooster has big, thick legs, and I'm much bigger than, our, than the hens that I have. And God created that rooster uh, to be a rooster and do what roosters do. They crow, they fight, they breed, uh, they protect and guard that, that flock. And God made men with muscles in their chest and broad shoulders to chop and to protect and things like that and, and to fight, to defend. And obviously he made women to nurture and uh, things like that and, and to help. They're not in the dominant role. They're not made that way. It would be similar to saying, okay, and this is just reality and this grates on some people's nerves because it's true and it's hard to digest because some people don't like truth. But if we were at the Indianapolis 500 and I had a race car and you had a minivan, okay, it's true. They're, they both share similarities. The insides of them basically work the same. Engines, transmissions, axles, wheel bearings, tires, all that stuff. Body frame. And they have combustible internal engines, internal combustible engines. And so you get, a, you get the minivan on the racetrack, you get the race car on the racetrack. And that minivan can run round and round in circles just like that car. Just like the race car. But if you're honest, you'll look and see that whoever designed those automobiles design one to race and the other to transport passengers. It's clear. And so it's sad what humanity has done today when we look at each other and we say, I know this is how I'm designed. I know I was designed as a minivan, but I'm going to break the glass ceilings and I'm going to go run on the racetrack. And we all pretend that the minivan is just as good at racing as the car. When, in fact, it's not. And, not only is the minivan not as good as racing at the car, but who would want to pile into the race car to go to church? They're designed for different things, and in their proper roles, they're perfect the way they were made. And we're foolish when we try to change it all up. Now, I want you to look... In verse 25, this is a very important verse. And they were both naked, the man and his wife. If you have a pen, you might want to underscore, and we're not ashamed. And we're not ashamed. Two people, naked and unashamed. Now, don't look at that and think, oh, that's wonderful. That shows we should all be able to walk around naked and not be ashamed of it. That's not right. Right? 
It's not natural. You take any child, I've raised five of them. You take any child, and that child is going to have a point of time in their life when they're naked and not ashamed. You can be in the living room talking to distinguished guests, and one of the children can run in there naked with a diaper in their hand and want you to change it. Right? It's true. They don't have the concept of good and evil yet. They're innocent. And it's a very beautiful thing. But as you're raising that child, one day when you open their door to walk in the room like you have all these years, one day they go, ah, don't come in. And suddenly everything changes. And you go, oh, that's different. And you shut the door and you give them their privacy. This is what happens. What happens there as they grow up, they begin to have the concept of good and evil. And so the reason Adam and his wife were naked and not ashamed, remember there were two trees in the Garden of Eden. One was the tree of life, the other was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So far, all mankind could know was good. God created everything good. Good. God created man to only know good. But this tree of life in the Garden of Eden, I'm sorry, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden would allow man to know and experience not only good, but also evil. In other words, he would be able to imagine something that God created good, because God created everything good. Their bodies were created good. There was nothing shameful about their bodies. But if they took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they would now be able to know their bodies and everything else, by the way, in an evil way. Not just a good way, but also now an evil way. Now, if you'll continue on, just keep that in your mind. Continue on now in chapter 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? I want you to notice that the serpent was classified as a beast of the field, not as things that creepeth upon the earth. The serpent was the most, um, you know, we would say that an, an ape is probably closest to humans than anybody as far as an intellect and things like that. But, but the serpent actually was originally. When you see a picture of a snake crawling up in a tree, slithering up in a tree, tempting Eve, it is nothing like it. It was nothing like that at all. Verse two, uh, I'm sorry, verse one. And he that is the serpent said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now this is before they had eaten of either tree. This is while the choice was wide open for them to make. And the devil, Satan, remember what we learned about Satan. Satan entered into that, that, that serpent and used the serpent to tempt Eve. The serpent was able to talk, was able to speak. This did not shock Eve. Talk a whole lot better than a parrot could. And the serpent spoke to Eve and said, uh, did, did God really say you can't eat of every tree of the garden? Did he, did he, did he really tell you? I just, I just wanted to know. Uh, Verse 2, And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. Oh, yeah, we can eat of them. Verse 3, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. She's referring to this here. You can eat of that. You'll die. If you, touch it, if you, if you eat it, don't, don't touch it. Keep your hands off of it. 
Now, the reason they would die is pretty simple. For them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil would be for them to reject God's leadership. For Him to decide what was good and evil for their lives. And for them to say, we're going to set ourselves up as gods ourselves. And we'll choose what's right and wrong for us. We'll choose what we think is the right thing to do. The right way to live. We're not going to have God tell us how we should live. And so the moment they do that, then uh, they the punishment is death. So let's go, go ahead and look here now in verse 4. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. This is the devil lying. You're not going to die. For God doth know, verse 5, Then the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Now that was a half-truth. It is true that the day they ate thereof, their eyes would be opened to knowledge they didn't have before. They would know good and evil now. But the part that was a lie is, yes, they would in fact die. Verse 6, the woman starts thinking about that. Man, we could elevate ourselves. There's no sense in letting the man keep us down. We can elevate ourselves beyond where we are right now. We don't have to let God be the only one that's God. We can be God God too. And so she looks at the tree, verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were open, just like the devil said. And they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. This is the first time man experienced shame, humiliation, embarrassment. It all came from, re- from rejecting God's plan for their lives and now setting themselves up to know good and evil, which only God was supposed to know. We were not created to have that knowledge and that imagination. We weren't designed to handle that. And so now they have shame. Now they take fig leaves, they make aprons, and they cover themselves, verse 8, and they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. Now we have fear. Fear, shame, death, all came from man's disobedience to God. That's where it all came from. And now they're hiding from God, and man has been hiding from God ever since. Sure has. Verse 9, The Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Where are you, Adam? Now, we already learned that God knows everything, right? Did God know where Adam was? Sure. Do not we do that when we know where our kids are and we're going to confront them? Hey, where are you at? What have you been into? Well, we know what they've been into. But we're trying to bring them to the conclusion themselves. says, Adam, where are you? Verse 10, And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that I was naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now that was true, but he was passing the buck, right? Ultimately, Adam, being the one put in charge, 
was the one who held the responsibility. Anytime God gives someone authority, he also, with that authority, gives them responsibility, right? You can't have responsibility without authority, but when you have authority, you're going to be the one to answer for it. And so Adam passes the buck down to his wife. Verse 13, the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? The woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. He tricked me. The serpent tricked me. It's his fault. But again, remember, God gave man authority over the beast of the field. Remember, we learned that last week, uh, and, and or the week before. And so she had authority over that serpent, not the other way around. Verse 14, the Lord God said unto the serpent, because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle. So they were blessed above all cattle. Now they're cursed above all cattle. And above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shalt thou go, and dust shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. Now there he's talking to the snake. And we're going to learn something really important here. So put your thinking caps on and listen real close. This is the first time we're introduced to this in Scripture. This is called a double reference. In the Bible, there are prophecies that means things that God is telling us in the future that do not give up all the details in the beginning. And these prophecies are given in double references. Meaning God will address something here and now physically. And in so doing, He's addressing something in the far future much greater spiritually. So God is speaking to the serpent physically. On your belly you're going to go and eat dust all the days of your life. And in a moment He's about to address the serpent within the serpent. He's about to address the devil spiritually with a far-off prophecy. This is all through the Scripture, all through the Bible. And so you need to understand this now. And as you go through the Bible, since all the details aren't given in the beginning, as you go through the Bible, you'll begin to see as the details unfold, wow, that was all there in the very beginning. Do you all know what the, a, a Russian nesting doll is? Okay, it's those, it's those nesting dolls that you start off with kind of a bigger doll, open it up, pull out another small, another smaller. And as you pull out the smaller dolls, it's all part of that one doll that you purchased. But as you pull them out, each little doll, as you go down to the little bitty ones, they have different detail that's revealed as you pull it out. Now, if I were to hand you that Russian nesting doll that has all the others contained, all of the detail is inside that Russian nesting doll, the original one, the, the one you see. But not all of the detail is seen until it's eventually pulled out and put on display, but it's all there. And in the end, as you have all these Russian nesting dolls that graduate up and fit into perfect shape, you can see that they were all part of the plan who designed, the designer who designed this big one right here. 
This is how God is doing this with these double reference prophecies starting right here in Genesis. What we're about to read, what we're reading now in Genesis 3.15 is the original Russian nesting doll of the gospel. Okay? And it is going to be fascinating as we continue to work our way through Scripture and watch another nesting doll get pulled out and put on display and pulled on display. And the next thing you know, you realize, wow, it's been there the whole time. And so if you'll look here now, God tells the snake, He says, uh, you're cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon your belly you'll go and eat dust all the days of your life. Now look in verse 15. This Now He's talking to the, the devil, which the book of Revelation calls that old serpent, the devil. He says, and I will put enmity between thee and the woman. And between thy seed and her seed. Watch this now. All right. Who can tell me what enmity is? What does enmity mean? Anybody? Enmity is, uh, I'm going to make you enemies. I'm going to put animosity between you. Okay? Conflict between you. And so here's here's the, the, the devil, that old serpent, the devil, as Revelation calls him. Here's the woman. This is the greatest promise ever given in the Bible. And every other promise that you see in the Bible is a little Russian nesting doll coming from this promise. Every single one. Learn this well. If I were to measure this room, and I were to lay a tape measure, I'm trying to stay here for the sake of those on camera. If I were to lay a tape measure at the beginning of this room, and stretch it across this room to the other end to get the measurement. That's how you get the measurement. What if I were to take the tape measure and I were to put it a foot away from that wall and stretch it across the room? It doesn't matter how well you can read the tape measure on the other end. If you're off in the beginning, you'll be off in the end. And this is why it's important for us to spend so much time in Genesis, which means beginnings. Because if we get this right in the beginning, if we lay the tape here right at the beginning, then you'll understand every other book in the Bible as you go through all the way to the end of Revelation. God's going to put enmity, in, enmity, that's the same word we get a word enemy from. Okay? So we're just going to put here, since we're not always familiar with the bigger word enmity, and we're going to put enemy. It's the same thing. I am going to make you and this woman enemies. Why is that so good? Because if we remain friends, we'd all be condemned just like the devil. God says, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman. Watch this now. Between your seed, that means your offspring, and her seed, the woman's offspring. Pay very close attention. Back in verse 15. It, that is the seed of the woman, shall bruise your head. You shall bruise his heel. 
Watch the pronouns. Watch the grammar. The seed that we're talking about here is singular, not plural. It shall bruise your head. You shall bruise their heels. His heel. One person. What's happening is is this. In time, and we're going to watch this as we continue through Genesis. In time, as Adam and Eve have children, there is going to be enemies made between those who follow the devil's influence and those who follow the woman's influence. Now, just notice here, I'm not talking about a woman as far as female. You'll see what I'm talking about here in just a moment. There's going to be two lines of people. A godly line and an ungodly line. We still have that line, those two lines today, by the way. Very much so. So we're going to have an ungodly line. Those who uh, follow the, the, the devil and his plan. And a godly line, those who follow God and his plan. By the way, when you get into the New Testament, Jesus looks at the Pharisees and he tells them, You are of your father, the devil, and the works of your father you will do. In other words, you are of the serpent seed back in the book of Genesis where I spoke about that. Does that make sense? All right. So, the woman seed, there's going to be a seed singular but a seed plural in that there will be a whole host of people over time who will will be part of the ungodly line and eventually there will be one particular man who will represent the devil and his ways in the far future. There will be a whole host of people who descend from the godly line And eventually there will be one particular man, one particular seed, who will represent all of those people. Today we would say Christ and Antichrist. Notice that God didn't say, I will put enmity between you and the man and between your seed and his seed. He shall put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. And the seed of the woman, the Christ, will bruise your head. In other words, he will destroy your kingdom, destroy you, and all those who belong to your godly line. But in so doing, you will bruise, what? His heel. Which will not destroy him, but will bring him great harm. So there's going to be uh, 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 a, a uh, price to pay, if you would. It's going to bring injury to this seed when he destroys this seed. 
Make sense? The reason this is of the woman and not of the man, it's the seed of the woman, not of a man, is because everyone that's born from Adam is now going to be born from this point forward. And we'll learn this next week. We're running out of time right now. Everyone born from Adam is going to be born with the knowledge of good and evil. Everyone born from Adam is going to be born with, with the penalty of death hanging over their heads, which is what we all have today. You, you can deny it all you want, but we're all going to die. And the nurses here, I'm sure, have had many instances where you work hard on people. My, my son-in-law is a nurse at Presbyterian Hospital Dallas. You work hard on people to say, that, and you can't. It's beyond our control. Ultimately, we're all going to die. And so, through the woman, the woman's going to have a seed, but it's not going to be the man's seed. You know why? We'll learn in one of those little Russian nesting dolls when we get to the later prophets. The Christ, the seed of the woman who's going to crush the devil who brought sin, death, destruction, and the knowledge of good and evil into the world will be born of a virgin. He'll be a man, but he will not inherit the sinful uh, nature of man. He will not be of the seed of Adam, the seed of the woman. All these, you, when you read this in Genesis, it looks weird. What in the world could this possibly mean? But as you pull the little nesting dolls out, as you go through Scripture, next thing you know, you're like, absolutely brilliant. He was here the whole time. I gave you a sneak peek today because most of us have a knowledge, some knowledge of the Bible. And as you lay this in there, it begins to make sense. And even though God did not reveal everything at that time, He revealed enough so that as the other prophets throughout the millennia wrote the following Scriptures, you would see that the original author of the Gospel had it right in the very beginning. And he's showing, yes, sir. Yeah, it is the first gospel message. It's the first gospel message, yes. In, in theology, we call this the Proto-Evangelium, which is Latin for first gospel message. But yes, this is the first gospel message, Genesis 3.15. And so, thank God He put enmity here. That means we don't think like you. You're against us, we're against you. Thank God He put enmity here. I don't like the devil. <laughs> I don't want to follow His ways. And... By God's grace, all this is playing out still today. And we're going to watch it all play out in the end to where finally, uh, well, there's no use in getting too far ahead now. So next week, because we're, we're, we're out of time now, next week what we're going to do is look and see how God pronounced the judgment of death upon Adam and Eve. And here's what's so marvelous. After telling Adam and Eve they were going to die, we're going to watch Adam and Eve live for several hundred more years and beget sons and daughters. And we're going to see what God did that allowed them to not have to die that day in the garden. When actually they did die that day in the garden. You'll learn, I know it sounds confusing.
Legally, they'll die. Practically, they won't. All right? And we'll see what God did to allow them to continue living and at the same time die. It's very, very marvelous as we move on through Genesis chapter 3. All right? And as we go through the rest of the Bible, you're going to look back and you're going to think, man, God's good at what He does. And there's no way that a man could have wrote this book and made it into what it is. Absolutely impossible. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and stop. And Lord willing, we'll see you next door.